record. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we have a kind of unique program for today because chapter 10 of the eighth canto has zero purports. And chapter 11 has maybe two that we will cover. So, and I'm sorry I didn't send a reading ahead of time. So I'm going to just read the summary uh, in that for chapter 10. I think that's sufficient. Um, the battle between the demigods and the demons. And if you want, I can share my screen while I'm reading it. You can read along. Hmm. The summary of chapter 10 is as follows. Because of envy, the fight between the demons and the demigods continued. When the demigods were almost defeated by demoniac maneuvers and became morose, Lord Vishnu appeared among them. Both the demigods and the demons are expert in activities involving the material energy. But the demigods are devotees of the Lord, whereas the demons are just the opposite. The demigods and demons churned the ocean of milk to get nectar from it. But the demons, not being devotees of the Lord, could derive no profit. After feeding nectar to the demigods, Lord Vishnu returned. One second, there's letting some devotees in. Okay. Returned to his abode on the back of Garuda. But the demons, being most aggrieved, again declared war against the demigods. Bali Maharaj, so Bali Maharaj, if you don't know, he's, he's born in a demon family, but he's a great devotee. Bali Maharaj, the son of Virochana, became the commander in chief of the demons. In the beginning of the battle, the demigods prepared to defeat the demons. Indra, king of heaven, fought with Bali, and other demigods like Vayu, Agni, and Varuna fought against other leaders of the demons. In this fight, the demons were defeated, and to save themselves from death, they began to manifest many illusions through material um, maneuvers, killing many soldiers on the side of the demigods. The demigods, finding no other recourse, surrendered again to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu, who then appeared and counteracted all the illusions presented by the jugglery of the demons. Heroes among the demons, such as Kalanemi, Mali, Sumali, and Malyavan fought the Supreme Personality of Godhead and were killed by the Lord. The demigods were thus freed from all dangers. So it continues that because you know, you're hearing all these killings, you think, what's going on? So uh, let me go to the next chapter. As described, this chapter is entitled King Indra Annihilates the Demons. As described in this chapter, the great Saint Nardamuni, being very compassionate to the demons who had been killed by the demigods, forbade the demigods to kill, continue killing. Then Sukracharya, by his mystic power, renewed the lives of all the demons. So they all got back to life, you know, uh, and this happens again in a, uh, towards the end of this chapter. So, you know, it's all, it's all good, so to speak, <laughs> what happens in these pastimes. Um, having been graced by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the demigods began fighting the demons again with renewed energy. 
King Indra released his thunderbolt against Bali. And when Bali, so I have to let somebody in. And um, where did I, whenever I let someone in, I lose track of where I am. And when Bali fell, his friends Jambasura attacked Indra, who then cut off Jambasura's head with his thunderbolt. When Narada Muni learned that Jambasura had been killed, he informed Jambasura's relatives, Namuchi, Bhala, and Paka, who then went to the battlefield and attacked the demigods. Indra, king of heaven, severed the heads of Bhali and Paka, Paka and released the weapon known as Kulisha, the thunderbolt, against Namishi's shoulder. The thunderbolt, however, returned unsuccessful, and thus Indra became morose. Now I have to let Adam in. <laughs> okay, there we go. At that time, an unseen voice came from the sky. The voice declared, a dry or wet weapon cannot kill Namuchi. Hearing this voice, Indra began to think of how Namuchi could be killed. He then thought of foam, which is neither moist nor dry. Using a weapon of foam, he was able to kill Namuchi. Thus, Indra and the other demigods killed many demons. Then at the request of Lord Brahma, Narada went to the demigods and forbade them to kill the demons any longer. All the demigods then returned to their abodes. Following the instructions of Narada, whatever demons remained alive on the battlefield took Bali Maharaj to Asta Mountain. There, by the touch of Supracharya's hand, Bali Maharaj regained his senses and consciousness, and those demons whose heads and bodies had been completely lost were brought back to life by the mystic power of Supracharya. It's like... Uh, <laughs> This is really a mundane uh, example. <laughs> and most of you, except me, you know, most of you are too young to remember this, but um, Henry and uh, Andy might. Uh, it's the, like the beginning, the opening song to um, that TV show, F Troop. Nobody takes a licking. <laughs> you know, everyone, uh, you know, it's a comedy, so nobody actually dies. Um, so here, the demons and the demigods both survive these battles, ultimately. Uh, yet the demigods who had drank the nectar, um, they, are, they, they reign successfully. So there was a few verses, a few purports that I wanted to refer to. So in verse number eight, and I guess I can again share my screen so that you can see. Verse number eight. Mm. Let me see if I'm on the right chapter. Yes. Okay. Seeing the movements of time, those who are cognizant of the real truth neither rejoice nor lament for different circumstances. Okay. So seeing the movements of time, that time carries on. Those who are cognizant of the real truth neither rejoice nor lament for different circumstances. Therefore, because you are jubilant due to your victory, you should be considered not very learned. So this is Bali Maharaj talking to Indra, some great philosophy. So um, we don't lament the passing of time. It's just 
it just is. We don't look in the mirror and the first time we see a gray hair, we think, oh my God, right? Or, or some wrinkles in, in our face or, or whatever signs of uh, time marching on. And similarly, the events in our life, we don't lament. So, so I think the purport, the purport talks about this. So let's look at the purport. Bali Maharaj knew that Indra, king of heaven, was extremely powerful. Certainly, oh, let me let Shakshi Gopal in. Certainly more powerful than he himself. Nonetheless, Bali Maharaj challenged Indra by saying that Indra was not a very learned person. In Bhagavad Gita 2.11, Krishna rebuked Arjuna by saying, Asojan Ambasochastan Pragyabaramscha Bhasase Katasun Agatasunscha Nanuso Chanti Pandita. So this is uh, Krishna. In one sense, this is his first chastisement. Uh, you could say a few verses earlier, I think verse three or four, where he says, Kutas Tvam Kashmalamidam. Well, how have these impurities come about you? But really, this is the first time Arjuna is surrendered as a disciple. And as we would say in Iskan in the old days, Krishna gave him the sauce. While speaking learned words, you are mourning for what is not worthy of grief. Those who are wise lament neither for the living nor the dead. Thus, as Krishna challenged Arjuna by saying that he was not a pandita or a learned person, Bali Maharaj also challenged King Indra and his associates. In this material world, everything happens under the influence of time. So think about that. Let that seep in a little bit. Everything happens by the influence of time. We're, we're, we're kind of, we're in this world and we're surrounded by the time factor, whether it's like, okay, 1030, there's a Bhagavatam class or whether it's the gray hairs that are showing up, or whether it's, um, you know, someone is uh, big for some time and they're the president of the United States or they're this or that, and then time marches on and, and they're no longer, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or, or also the time factor, we become really wealthy, the time factor, we become poverty stricken, the time factor, we have this great relationship, the time factor, we have that great, it all's happening surrounded by, by time. Time rules this world in one sense. And Mrityu Sava Harash Chaham, Krishna, show, by the time factor, he annihilates everything in this world. I mean, we don't want to think about this. This is like, but even you know, this beautiful temple that we're building in Washington, D.C., at some point in time, the time factor will get to it. Maybe it's maybe it'll stand for 500 years. Who knows? And that would be wonderful. But everything, 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 even the, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge behind Dean, that won't, that's not eternal. <laughs> so, um, and the present situation that we find in life um, is also, it will also change. And the world will change, you know, when, when Henry and I were youngsters, uh, it was the 60s and, you know, Bob Dylan and the Beatles reigned supreme. And now, you know, two of the four Beatles are dead and uh, the others are in their 70s. And, you know, um, so time marches on and, you know, bell bottoms are no longer in vogue. 
as they were when uh, when I was a kid. Nobody probably don't even some of you don't even know what bell bottoms are, and and even the time factor. And so some of us we were talking last week. Some of us are in India, uh, from India, and the time factor has marched on there, where you know everyone practically had arranged marriages at one time. We talked about this last week, and now there's many love marriages. And that's the time factor. Right. And then the Congress party seemed invincible in politics in India at one time. Right? They just seemed like that was it. They were they were it, you know, the whole. Yeah. And now the BJP and that's that won't last forever. So that's everything. Everything is the time factor. So we'll continue this purport. But Dean has his hand up. Yeah, I was just going to say when, when reading this, it almost sounds like, you know, that cyclical element of time. Uh, it almost sounds like good and bad things are inevitable no matter what. In other words, it seems like no matter how, how much good karma you may or may not generate, like eventually some, something bad's going to hit you. And then just observing the world today, like we, we and all, I mean, I don't know exactly everyone's, you know, what they're going through or whatnot, but I mean, I think by and large, we've really hit the lottery you know just by having been in the, in the u.s and whatnot i think about that a lot like if you just look at the the math of what could have dice could have rolled up even in this world you know we, we were very lucky and i think about that a lot and like um you know the next time those dice are rolled in all likely that it won't be as lucky and we'll be one of those people kind of in a in a more dire straight or uh, yeah at least less you know less materially uh, blessed uh, state yeah and and the happiness and distress the 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 real thing that's within our control is how we react to the happiness and distress and the real way to do that is how we take shelter of krishna i you know of course there's many books about how to react and not react. And, and uh, uh, Brene Brown has her books and, and uh, Stephen Covey has his. But the ultimate thing is, is whether we use those good and bad times as uh, propulsion towards Krishna. That's actually, you know, otherwise we're just kind of on the hamster wheel. We may go on, a, sometimes we may be on a, um, a really nice hamster wheel you know and sometimes we might be on a real rickety one that you know kind of you get you know doesn't move very well you really have to work hard to get the wheel to move at all but it's still a hamster wheel <laughs> it may be a, a first class one or a tenth class one so that's part of the vision that we're trying that uh, bali maharaj is trying to inculcate in indra here that you know why why are you so elated because you won you know it's just, it's just your karma and, you know, get over it. <laughs> yeah. And what goes on in this world, you know, I mean, again, if you, you see through the eyes of Prabhupada's teachings, you, you and you think of the law of karma, and I, what did I say? 300 million? I can't remember the factor. The huge number of cows that are killed every year in the world I think it was 300 million and the number of chickens is in the billions, I believe, you know, and all this, 
all this cruelty, there's, there has to be some kind of outlet for it. Yeah. And again, so the time factor. So again, when, you know, maybe Andy and Henry and I are, you know, for us, it was the Vietnam War. I don't know if someone was older, it was the Korean War. And now it's, you know, it's another war. And, and before, when my parents were alive, it was uh, World War II. You know, um, there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> Let's continue. So I'll go back to sharing my screen in a second. Share screen. Okay. There we go. Consequently, for a learned person here who sees how things are taking place, there's no question of being sorry or happy because of the waves of material nature. After all, since we are being carried away by these waves, what is the meaning of being jubilant or morose? Think about that for a second. We're, so we're in the material world, we're in, or we're in the ocean of the material worlds, you know, to, to carry out the um, analogy here, because the word waves. And after all, since we are being carried away by the waves, what is the meaning of jubilant? In other words, they're both waves, whether it's material happiness or material distress. One who is fully conversant with the laws of nature, meaning karma and etc., is never jubilant or morose because of nature's activities. In Bhagavad Gita, Krishna advises that one tolerate tamstatik bharata. Following this advice of Krishna's, one should not be morose or unhappy because of circumstantial changes. This is the symptom of a devotee. So um, that's quite, that's, in other words, he's making it not so easy to really be a real devotee because following this advice of Krishna, one should, I'm reading uh, right here, one should not be morose or unhappy because of circumstantial changes. This is the symptom of a devotee. A devotee carries out his duty in Krishna consciousness and is never unhappy in awkward circumstances. So the idea here, oh, well, I'll read a little more. He has full faith. He has full faith that in such circumstances, Krishna protects his devotee. Therefore, a devotee never deviates from his prescribed duty of devotional service. So you see the, the consciousness here that reading between the lines of what Prabhupada is saying, when we are so fixed, and this is not easy, when we're so fixed in giving pleasure to Krishna and serving Krishna in, in our relationship with Krishna, then as a servant um, in that mood, the happiness and distress, it's, it's not our consideration. It's not what motivates us. It's not what we even care about. Um, I think it was in a different class that I was giving, maybe Wisdom of the Sages, just talking. Uh, I mean, a I had a little experience of this when I was uh, distributing books in 70s and early 80s and um, in Michigan. <laughs> and Michigan in the winter. Oh, so, yeah, it was Wisdom of the Sages. 
it's so cold and sometimes the wind blows horizontally and the, I mean, the snow flies horizontally. And I would still, I would just say, well, it's my service to, to go out and run around in the cold and try to shoot books. So I do that. Uh, and when it was warm and, and the weather was night, like here in Florida, it's like perfect right now. It's like in the seventies. So that, that's nice. But it was actually really helpful for my Krishna consciousness to just not think about the cold. Oh my God, it's so cold, I'm gonna suffer. No, it's, it's my service to do this for Krishna. Or, or in other words, it's my, if this is my job, this is my job to do. Um, this is how I maintain my family or this or that. So that transcending the happiness and distress of this world is the challenge, I would say. I was going to say the emblem of a devotee, but we could say the challenge of us who are trying to be really good devotees. To, you know, it's one thing to kind of, as I say, get over it. You know, the, uh, the Bob Newhart skit called Stop It. You know, just a stop it. The person's, you know. Um, that's one thing, but but it's much higher to um, to you know stop it to not worry about our happiness and distress when we're well ultimately when we're in love with someone <laughs> when we're in love with Krishna ultimately um, and then one does whatever one needs to do for their their lover without considering happiness and distress gain a victory or defeat etc so let's just continue this purpose and we'll see if there's any further points on that although we've talked about that a number of times i know because it's such a main theme of krishna consciousness let's finish this purport mm. the material qualities of jubilation and moroseness so those are material they now you can be jubilant in krishna consciousness also Material qualities of jubilation and moroseness are present even in the demigods who are very highly situated in the upper planetary system. Therefore, when one is undisturbed by the so-called favorable and unfavorable circumstances of this world, material world, he should be understood to be Brahma Bhuta or self-realized. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma, Na Sochati, Na Kangshati. One who is transcendently situated at once realizes the supreme Brahman and becomes fully joyful. When one is undisturbed by material circumstances, he should be understood to be on the transcendental stage above the reactions of the three modes of material nature. So comments, questions, thoughts? You know, um, I was thinking about... Um, the only that, that you said before, the only thing that we can control is how we react. And I keep hearing that as a theme over and over again in various classes. But yesterday I was thinking about when I was watching 
the cars passing over the double yellow line. And I hate it when people break the law and do that dangerous stuff. And there was something really evil inside me for a moment that wanted to see that first <laughs> accident, you know, and it was just for a millisecond. I went, wow, how can that even be inside me? You know, I have to really get rid of that. What can I do to get rid of that evil feeling of revenge and see people, you know, I'm, I'm like the judge. I want to, you know, any, it, it, it was actually in me. So, I hope I can get rid of that somehow. I was with you in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did I react? Was I yelling? Was I screaming? Was no, I... no, no. You, you immediately thought of five good things you could say about that person. And, and remember, we said, well, maybe it was a, a man driving his pregnant wife to the hospital. Uh, and then you said, but it was a lady driving. And, yeah. and you said, well, maybe she was driving herself to the hospital. <laughs> We don't know. Yeah, we don't know the situation, right? You know, or they're late for their daughter's graduation or who knows. Right? Well, but, uh, but you did. But Henry, the point was that you did catch yourself. So I think I think one way to to um, gauge our advancement is the uh, what do they call it? Like the lag time <laughs> between you know, some kind of knee-jerk reaction like that and then catching ourselves and say, oh, no, I shouldn't be thinking like that. And I think, you know, one way to, so one way we're advancing is the lag time is becoming less and less mm -hmm. until even when someone does something silly, uh, we wish them well. How does that sound? Very satisfying. Thank you. All right. Guru Das did you have something you want to say? Yeah, I was just, um, uh, uh, my obeisances to all the devotees and to Srila Prabhupada. Um, so <laughs> I think we should um, at least attempt to make the distinction um, between um, when, the, when the purport says when one is therefore undisturbed by so-called favorable, it's not that it's not that we can't react, you know, like if, if there's a, a, something that happens in our life that's a success, it's, it's not that we shouldn't react, you know, like, wow, this, you know, this is really great, but it, I think, um, or if something bad happens to be, you know, very depressed or morose, but um, it's about not being attached to it. I think um, is at least that's my reading of, of this is more the point that we can we can have reactions but we it's not like it's not like we're attached to those um, situations um, does does that sound yes. logical yeah, or, yeah, that, yeah. That's <laughs> And not not or, but and when we are a pure devotee of Krishna, fully absorbed in his service, then we don't then it, it actually there, it won't be any reaction because it's just the only focus is, is Krishna's pleasure. But it, it, in, in the sadhana stage, what you're talking about makes a lot of sense, yes. Well, but even the okay, and adding to that <laughs> what you just said. Um, you know, suppose 
suppose uh, in your book distributing days, you came back, you know, and you did, you had distributed a hundred books that day, you know, that's certainly um, cause for celebration from your from your Sankirtan leader and for the temple, and you brought in so much, you know, yeah. Uh, so much, so much locked me. So it's, it's not like, you know, you don't just shrug it off and say, oh, oh, hundred books. Yeah. No, tomorrow's another day. Um, it, 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 that's, that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't make sense uh, from a personal point of view or something. Yeah. And what you're talking about now is devotional service. That's in a different plane than just the things that happen to us in life. We break our But even, even, even the things that, that, I mean, that are outside of devotion, I mean, like... If, right, well, I'm just talking about, like, I, I, I'm agreeing with you, and I'm just talking about the very exalted devotees. For example, when Lord Chaitanya invited Sanatana Goswami for prasadam, for lunch in Jagannath Puri, and Sanatana Goswami... Um, took the long route along the beach, which, was, which is just smoking hot at that time of year. Uh, and he didn't go to, uh, through right past the temple of Lord Chaganath because he had these sores on his body. And he thought that if he touched one of the pujaris, it would be a great offense. And he was so, but he was so absorbed. And this, I know this is an extreme example, but he was so absorbed and just, that he, that he got this invitation thinking of Lord Chaitanya that he didn't even notice that his feet, his foot, his feet became totally blistered. Um, but it just wasn't in his consciousness at all because he was just totally absorbed in his, in his devotional mood. So that I'm, just, I'm just giving these, you know, samples from Shastra as, as something on a level of prema that we're not on. But what you're talking about in terms of you know our day-to-day -day lives makes total sense yes thank, thanks for right. allowing contribution right. yeah, well, thank you uh either jiva or ananda rupa yes Prabhuji. um so this is a very interesting topic i think specifically after we are practicing uh, spiritual life this is a, such of such um, big relevance to be tolerant uh, we are tested, uh, you know, <clears throat> so as you were explaining it, I was trying to relate. Um, here, uh, two, three things I wanted to just uh, share my thoughts. Uh, number one is uh, being spiritual doesn't mean that we won't be, uh, we won't be presented unfavorable interactions or uh, situations in life. And that is where then uh, my realization is, if we read Srila Prabhupada's books, if we chant the holy names, if we engage in service, and we, we, when we are around devotees, we observe so much and we learn over a period of time how to cultivate the tolerance, how to be respectful, uh, um, how to respect others even when they don't matter to us. And mind plays a big role at all times. So Srila Prabhupada's books, they really help us understand how under the effect of different modes of nature, you know, uh, we can um, 
we can behave differently, how we can give away or we can stay calm, we can uh, be tolerant. And the foremost thing, recommendation to us, we have been hearing, especially around God Purnima, we should be humble in a humble state of mind. We can practice devotional service, we can chant. So that's what was coming to my mind, you know. Um, uh, you know what happened uh, for something personal I want to share very quickly <clears throat> so we never allowed dogs you know elder son kept asking we never did and then younger ones started to ask in schools teachers are talking about dogs they are showing dog movies when they go out there are dogs everywhere and they love dogs and they wanted to have a dog and we would never allow them and that too, when we started reading the stories uh, from Srimad Bhagavatam and all how you develop attachment and all that Prabhupada said, either you serve God or you serve dog. So now somehow or other, we got this dog, right? Children got it. And okay, so we are really trying to exercise patience, tolerance, and trying to uh, keep bhakti <laughs> uh, stable in our life while the, uh, the dog is a family member now, right? right. And then, then Govind comes back at times and he says, so and so devotee, said you are something you know which disturbs his peace of mind something and as i was <laughs> i i was reading this and it was just something coming to my mind i wanted to mention and i i had to explain to him you don't become disturbed you don't react you respond but really there is so much we can say um, you know we ourselves go through a lot of experiences where we try to stay tolerant so children have to learn their way through it too and that too, if they don't read books yet, you know, Srila Prabhupada's teachings and all, uh, it's really a challenge with them. And that too, if certain devotee comments without the context, that too, if they don't have that mentor or a close relationship with others, and they just on the fly, they comment something like that, that becomes a, such a big challenge. So yeah, it, it's kind of a challenge for us too, as parents, how do we make our children understand how to deal with such relationships. Right. After six months event, Hare Krishna, this is Jiva, just adding to what just, she just said. And he goes to a temple and he hears this comment. He doesn't feel like so. Incentive. So that is a thing actually with the youth nowadays. Children were sharing this youth program going on here. So some of his friends, they were staying here. And this morning we are all having a discussion. And we learned some of the youth, they don't feel comfortable going because once in a while somebody comments something like that, here and there people have cats and dogs. This is just an example, but it could be something else also. And they are not quite yet prepared already. Nobody's prepared already at times, right? And they are like 18, 19 years old. So, yeah. Yeah, so for the those who don't know, so there's a uh, capital kirtan going on at the temple this weekend. A lot of Devotee, young devotees are there, and so that's their summer staying with Jiva and Nanda Rupa. Um, yes, and it and it's it's uh, it was funny because uh, uh, so Dana came to uh, Rathiyatri yesterday with her two uh, beagles, and and Henry said something funny. He said, "Oh, I thought she was just bringing dogs. She's bringing beagles. They're great." <laughs> and and they were like the hit of the you know so many devotees were going up oh they're so cute they're so beautiful um so it's it is it's also really tricky to um to what's the word i'm thinking it's not transform uh to introduce a culture 
from one part of the world into a, another part of the world and what is a detail and what is the principle. So, um, so yes, in India, well, and now things have changed, but in India, generally people, even if they have uh, dogs or cats, they live outside, right? Um, they don't live inside the house and, and because people have deities and anyway, the, the whole idea of really keeping, you know, one doesn't even bring their shoes inside or anything like that. So you can't like clean the dog's paws every time they go outside. So, you know, because you have deities and, and a kitchen that's for cooking for the deities, there's, there's that going on. And at the same time, you know, here in the West, things are different. And then, of course, we also know from scriptures that, you know, there, you know, um, Lord Chaitanya had so much affection for um, uh, Raghava, was it Raghava's? Raghava Pandit's dog? Was that it? Yeah, and, uh, and Prabhupada would say that, you know, dogs have this wonderful quality of um, loyalty and things like that. So balancing those things out, yes. And, and then you get like a, a young brahmachari or somebody, you know, giving a class um, that is just not appropriate for a youth to hear. So, so it's, it's really important. That's why we have these programs like TSI, the Sangha Initiative, and uh, in England, Pandavasena, and um, the, uh, what do they call it? it? The temple in DC? TAG, the TAG thing, you know. So, thing, you know, uh, programs that are specifically for different age groups that are, you know, the, the teachings are appropriate to that age group. Um, and so, yeah, just like, just like, so, um, my son and a friend of his that grew up, they grew up together in Krishna consciousness. His name is Sri Rupa and both, both my son and Sri Rupa are married and their wives, they're all getting initiated in a couple of weeks, but who are they getting initiated from? Someone who they can really relate to is Holiness Ritava Jamaraj and who as you know, taking care of uh, young devotees for you know forty or fifty years, and knows exactly how to relate to them in a way that they can they can uh, really appreciate Krishna consciousness. Or like we have uh, several devotees here who listen to wisdom of the sages every every week uh, or every day, um, and they're. For, for many people, Raghunath Prabhu and Koshu Prabhu are very relatable. And I would guess some people from India, especially older devotees, they would be like, what is this? <laughs> you know, they, they couldn't relate to it at all. <laughs> so, the, <clears throat> so as long as we're sticking to the principles of Krishna consciousness, you know, encouraging people to chant Hare Krishna, encouraging the hearing of Srimad Bhagavatam, and then presenting that Srimad Bhagavatam in a relatable way, um, that's that's important. And look at Prabhupada. He had to do that. He, you know, he's this, you know, sadhu from Vrindavan, who, you know, who was born as a Vaishnava his whole life. And then he, he first of all, he, you know, he ends up in Butler, Pennsylvania, like what? <laughs> right. And, you know, he sees things like frozen vegetables for the first time. He's like, wow, that's really interesting. And then he ends up in the Bowery. Then he ends up in Hate Ashbury in, in San Francisco, you know, and and people related to him because he 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 adjusted 
things without changing the principles. He adjusted some details in such a way that, you know, and he was just such a person whose heart was filled with bhakti and, and everything. But, you know, we had, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's pretty, it, you couldn't get pretty much a different experience in life than the sadhu coming from India and, you know, followers of the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane and Big Brother in the Holding Company and Jimi Hendrix and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And yet, you know, those people did a, a benefit concert for the devotees and Prabhupada spoke at the concert. You know, so. and, but, but he understood as he was leaving the concert. Uh, so, you know, brahmacharis are, are celibate monks. So he, he joked with one of his disciples as he was leaving that concert, he said, this is no place for a brahmachari. <laughs> so he understood the context. So hopefully these uh, young devotees staying at your house will um, be able to get the association of people they can relate to. I mean, I think, you know, my wife tries to be like that with uh, young people. Um, I think hopefully they find her relatable. Uh, Jiva and Ananda and people of her nature. At least I can relate to her. <laughs> um, Dean says, did Prabhupada ever write an autobiography and or did anyone ever write a bio? Oh, so you're not familiar. Yes, there's many biographies about Srila Prabhupada, actually. Um, uh, the most famous one, if I'll put it in the... Uh, it's called the... Prabhupada Lilamrita. There you go. But many of his disciples wrote uh, biographies. Um, Henry, what would be a really, well, this one is a really good one. My glorious master. Oops, I'm spelled, I spelled glorious wrong, sorry. Uh, that's by Parijan Prabhu. And um, yeah, and there's so many. There's so many. Um, there's one. What's the one that Yogeshwar? Uh, what's that? The one by Yogeshwar. Oh yes, that's called uh, Swami in a strange land. That's a really good one, by the way. That's a really good one. It's very it kind of Yogeshwar is a very, very, very good writer. What is the name of Vishakas? It's like five years, 11 months, and something like that. Is that what it is? Something like that. Five years, 11. That's how long she had his association. Something like that. Um, Vishaka. Um, yeah, there's many, many, but those are some really good ones. <laughs> I like Vishakas because it starts with her life in uh, Great Neck, New York. And that's where I, I, I was from the same town. So she describes all these places in Great Neck. It's like, whoa, I know that, I know that park. <laughs> Things like that. But the Lila Rita is the standard one. Uh, and yes, uh, Yogeshwar's, it's, uh, what's his name? Joshua, G-R-E-N-E. He's the author of that. That's a really good, really, really, really good book. Um, and for anyone who knows a little bit about science, which might be you, Dean, I can't remember his, his brother is one of the most famous physicists in the world. 
he, you know, millions of hits on uh, YouTube. I forget his first name, but uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if you want to have a little bit funny, uh, Blazing Sadhus by uh, Achutananda Prabhu. Um, yeah, he's, you know, a little takeoff on Blazing Saddles by uh, Mel, Mel Brooks. <laughs> yes. Okay. But yes, there's probably 20 or 30. But these are, you know, but some are better than others, I, I must say. And so these ones are really solid ones that we heard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Jiva and Ananda, I hope you're giving good association to those uh, young people. They really need that encouragement. Arival Prabhu, that was a wonderful time we had. Since uh, COVID, you know, we have not been having many programs. So after a very long time, uh, the boys were here and they did nice kirtan also at home yes. in the Aarti. So it was wonderful. Now they have all left for temple for the kirtan program. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah another kirtan today. Yeah, wonderful. Yes, yes, please. Best thing you can do, Mataji, is feed them, feed them, feed them. That's what that's what really keeps them <laughs> as devotees. <laughs> Just like, you know, <laughs> like that. That was our secret in uh, in Vrindavan was we'd always have a nice prasadam at our house. And that way, you know, Gopinath uh, would bring his friends. And, you know, I think he became interested in Krishna consciousness through pizza. So shall we continue back to the Bhagavatam? Um, let me see. Uh, there was one other verse I wanted to cover today. Well, let's see, 25. Let's see what's in 25. Because there's not too many purports in this chapter either. Now let's go on to 30, 48. So right at the end of the chapter, 48. Okay, and I'll share my screen so you can see it, 48. Bali Maharaj was very experienced in universal affairs. When he regained his senses and memory by the grace of Supracharya, his guru, he could understand everything that had happened. Therefore, although he had been defeated, he did not lament. It is significant that Bali Maharaj is here said to be very experienced. Although defeated, he was not at all sorry, for he knew that nothing can take place without the sanction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Since he was a devotee, he accepted his defeat without lamentation. As stated, in the, as stated by the Supreme Personality of Godhead in Bhagavad Gita, karman everyone in Krishna consciousness should execute his duty without regard for victory or defeat. One must execute his duty as ordered by Krishna or his representative, the spiritual master. Anukulyena Krishna Anu Silinam Bhaktirutama. In first class devotional service, one always abides by the orders and will of Krishna. So, oops, stop sharing. Um, so, such a, it's a beautiful concept. And again, like so many things, it takes some practice to come to, but. Um, you know, in, in in happiness and distress, in in you know, it's like, what is the what are the wedding vows, richer or poorer? Um, you know, uh, we you know, and so with Krishna, it's like that that we we have our karma, but we do our best. 
and then we leave the result up to Krishna. So it's a very, it's very liberating and it's a very nice way of understanding the connection. And I want to, uh, by the way, I want to address Adam's question from last week also, uh, which is a little related to this, but the connection between our karma and our um, free will or, or, you know, or freedom to you know, change things in this world. Um, so we do have our karma. And when we become devotees, we also have Krishna's desire and Krishna's intervention in our life. And we don't really have control over either of those, right? Our karma, we, we, you know, is what whatever we did in the past. And the way Krishna deals with us, that, you know, we can try to bargain with him <laughs> and pray to him, but you know, ultimately he'll do as he, as he what, what's best for us. But what we do have control is doing our best and trying to carry out the, his teachings and the teachings of his devotees. And that we try to do with the utmost sincerity. I've been thinking about this word sincerity um, a lot and because I'm giving a talk in Alachua Temple on Tuesday morning Bhagavatam class and this word sincerity comes up. And it's... Um, it's a very, it's a, well, to, let's say to be sincere in relationship with Krishna, I was thinking, what are the prerequisites for that? And I guess one is to have some faith in him, right? You know, because if you're really going to say, oh, my Lord, please help me, and Krishna, please, and we chant, we try to chant Krishna's name and in a humble state of mind and all that, that, that you know, some uh, appreciation that he's actually there to hear the prayers <laughs> and to, to hear the uh, sincerity is there. And then I was thinking how Lord Chaitanya, you know, we just celebrated his, his appearance day on Thursday. He exemplified sincerity. He exemplified sincerity. He especially, so he only wrote eight verses, although, you know, there's books and books written about him, including the Chaitanya Charitamrita, he only composed eight verses and the second, third, fourth, and fifth verses, those four verses, second, two, three, four, five, yeah. Um, those are Lord Chaitanya who's coming, he's Krishna, but he's coming into this world as a devotee of Krishna and he's showing how to be sincere. That's what he's actually doing. If, you, if we look at... Um, the, those verses, let me just find them real quickly. I had them. Um, he, he, he's, in, he's experiencing great humility and he's even lamenting uh, when he says this verse. So he's just showing the mood of a devotee. Uh, now we just read about not lamenting, right? So <laughs> wait a second, what, how is he teaching about, about lamenting? So um, this is what he's lamenting. He's saying that, Krishna, you're so kind. You put all your energy into your holy name so we can associate with you directly when we chant your holy name. And then he says, my dear Lord, although you bestow such mercy upon the fallen conditioned souls by liberally teaching your holy names, I am so unfortunate 
that I commit offenses while chanting the holy name. And therefore I do not achieve attachment for chanting. So, he, so he's just, show, you know, we could all, we can all relate to that, right? You know, oh gosh, my chanting today was just not up to par. Right? So he's showing that by this example that, that, that uh, that's what the mood of a, a sincere devotee is like. And then he goes on to the third verse, right? So he, he's lamenting like this. And, and he says, but, you know, but if I, if I could just think myself lower than the straw in the street, more tolerant than a tree, and if I could just learn to give respect to others without expecting respect in return, then I could chant Krishna's name in a way that will easily awaken my dormant love for him. Right? So, so he's just showing, okay, so if you want to be sincere, this is how you do it. You, you, you become tolerant, you, you become humble, you show respect to others, you don't expect anything in return. And then as he's, as he's um, praying more and begging for devotional service, he, 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 talks, he talks in a way that again, we can relate to. He says, I don't, not that I'm, I, I don't wanna just become super successful in this world to have it all taken away. Not, not that I'm not Janam. I don't want a lot of followers to think that I'm a great devotee. Not Sundarim. I don't need, you know, to have like, you know, um, a great sex life or this or that, or just be able to, you know, have a trophy wife or a trophy husband, you know, or, or any of the fruit of activities in this world. I just want devotional service. I just want un, unmotivated, uninterrupted bhakti. And, and we can we can relate to that also, right? You know, we say, oh, Krishna, I have all these other desires. Oh my God, I know I should just want pure bhakti, but you know, I'm such a slouch. <laughs> yeah. And so the last one is so that he's you know, he's his humility is even becoming more and more, um, and he's considering himself a conditioned soul in this world. And so he again expresses his desire for bhakti. He says, oh, my Lord, oh, Krishna, Sanna Maharaj Nandu, I am your eternal servant. But because of my own fruit of actions, you know, fruits mean I want to enjoy this world. I have fallen into this horrible ocean of birth and death. Please pick me up. Uh, be causelessly merciful to me. And just consider me your servant at your feet. So, so this whole uh, mood of, um, of sincerity, and here Bali Maharaj is showing that he's such a sincere uh, devotee. He's not lamenting that he lost the battle, big deal. <laughs> okay, you can, you can get all the great stuff in this world. I want my relationship with Krishna. So next time your favorite sports team doesn't win, don't worry about it <laughs> or whatever, you know, things happen to us in, in life. So any, any thoughts, questions, comments on, on this verse and what I just said and the importance of Lord Chaitanya in teaching by example, what it means to become sincere in Bhakti. Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeev Tattudas. I know, I know your voice. <laughs> Thank you, Prabhu. So, uh, one of the things that we are learning continuously and reminded again and again 
is that there are so many lessons in every moment in our life. Means we hear, we observe, and we learn. Every I mean, there are so many opportunities we get during the day. And here we were reflecting back on Bali Maharaj, as we are reflecting back, as we are covering in this chapter very nicely. It's like he is showing even to Indra how to be tolerant. Then later when you know he regains his consciousness, he shows that tolerance by serving his spiritual master. While at the same time, it's again, you know, it's like you know, eyesight when you have learned, it's 2020, but then the mistakes, they were there in the past. Right when the churning of the ocean was there, Bali Maharaj and his uncles, they were deciding how to take away the, the, the part of nectar mm. from the devas as soon as it comes in their possession. Right. And they did it. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Brahmatirtha Prabhu, can you talk? I see you've joined. We, we are very blessed by having. Uh, um, uh, well, if I have something to say. Well, what That's I'd another like issue. To, what I'd like you to do is use us as a guinea pig for your class this evening in Alachua, if you would be so kind to do that. Set the scene a little bit and then ask us the question we've been talking about and see does, how it fits us. Would that work for you? Does this mean I'm going to talk and you're going to make oink comments? <laughs> no, but would that, work, would that be okay? Yeah, sure. So uh, well, well, we can do that. Okay, so, um, so this is Brahmatirtha uh, Prabhu. If you ever read the book, Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers. Uh, so he's going to tell you a little bit about that book that uh, he was uh, a major player in. And then he's going to ask us a question. Go ahead, Brahmatirtha. Oh, okay. How many people are on? Let me see. 14. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, a lot of people listen to this afterwards. Like, 100. Okay. And how many on here have actually read the book? I think probably not so many. Of course, uh, Henry has. Anyone yeah, I'm here read... with, of course, Henry's at my house. I know. <laughs> Anyone else uh, read Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers? Uh, Jiva Tattva has, Guru yeah. does have, so a few others. Have. Okay. Um, well, uh, we'll say what, let me see. I'm just adjusting my cell phone here so uh, that this makes sense. See if I can get this to work right. Okay. So, um, well, I, uh, I, I'll begin with at the beginning. I was, um, uh, uh, I was um, born at a young age. <laughs> and then from there, everything went downhill. Um, uh, I was very interested in going to India since I was a little boy for whatever reason. Um, we can speculate on why, but I was. And then I had the opportunity uh, after my undergraduate degree to join the Peace Corps, and I requested India. And what year, what year are we talking about? 71. Well, I applied in 69 or 70. It was very difficult to get in the Peace Corps during those days, but if you wanted India, you got it, because it was considered the by most Peace Corps veterans the worst assignment you can get. And in India, it was considered one state that was considered the worst place to get an assignment. And in that one state, it was considered the worst town to get the assignment. So Krishna arranged I go there. 
So this had the advantage of letting me be a little uh, detached from my love for India. And I went there to search was the Hare Krishna movement legitimate or not. In the 60s, there were many gurus after Prabhupada. He was the first major one to come. I mean, Vivekananda had visited briefly and Muktananda had come, but Prabhupada was the first one to really get something to take off. And when he did, you had a lot of copycats following, many of them with the idea of getting Western women and money. We won't name names, but it's well known. And so I wanted to distinguish, was the Krishna movement legitimate or not? And I had learned the mantra, seeing them in the street in the 60s. And I'd read the Gita, not Prabhupada, it wasn't even out, but read the Gita in college. I was fascinated by the philosophical side. So I uh, uh, then went to India to explore the roots of the Gita. And while I was in India, I was a high school teacher in this, I guess the only way to describe it, God-forsaken town in a God-forsaken state in India. Much of India was really nice, but the one state I was in is like um, sort of laughing stock of India. But it was very close to Calcutta. It wasn't Bengal, next state over. And so I would, um, I got to run, ran into the devotees in Calcutta and I got more fascinated. One of them said, why don't you come to Mayapur? We're doing food relief for the Bangladesh refugees. India, Pakistan had just had one of their several wars and there were a lot of refugees, a lot. So I said, well, I don't have to teach right now. Why don't I do that? So I went there and there was 70 devotees and uh, um, just a piece of land. Mayapur, for those who are familiar, is a whole city now, but then it was just a piece of rice paddies in the dry season with a few tents and a hut for Prabhupada. I didn't know much about Prabhupada other than he was a guru of the Hare Krishna movement. And then I was invited, because I was the only guest at this festival. It was the Gore Purnima, which was 50 years ago, the full moon that was a few days ago. I was invited to meet him. And since all of his disciples were very young, mostly under 25, much even much younger, uh, and some were very zealous, Prabhupada realized um, maybe he ought to protect me. So he kept me in his hut with him for three solid days, <laughs> talking to him. So I could got to ask any question I wanted. And at the end of the conversation, his secretary turned and said, these were perfect answers, Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said, yes, make this into a book called Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers. So that's how the book happened. It's now coming out in its 59th language, which is utterly shocking. To, can't, can't, I, my brain doesn't comprehend it, but that's what it is. So I had a chance to ask Prabhupada anything that was on my mind. So my question to all of you, if we went back to, now some of you may be 22 years old now, but let some of you who aren't go back to when you were 22. Uh, and those of you who do nothing about Krishna other than maybe having read the Gita, but really never had a serious philosophical discussion, had very little interaction with 
the Krishna movement um, was just curious. And then you're sitting at Prabhupada's feet and you can ask him anything you want and there's no other guests there. My question is, what would you ask Prabhupada under these circumstances? Now, I have a slight advantage, and I, I had spent 10 years thinking about these things due to some circumstances that, you know, uh, we don't have to get into right now, but I kind of need be. But I had, had thought about these things. Uh, nevertheless, um, I wasn't at all thinking this would happen to me, and I didn't have any prepared anything. Prabhupada had such an incredible sense of humor and uh, ability to make those who are visiting him feel very comfortable and uh, not awestruck, which I was, but just very comfortable and even Prabhupada would even use techniques such as self-deprecating humor and um, just to make his visitors, especially me, feel very relaxed, which is not what I would have expected. Um, so in this meditative moment, think about it for a minute. Here you are, you're 22 years old. All of a sudden, you have Prabhupada's full attention. And remember, you don't know what you know now. You know what you know then, which was very little. What would you ask Prabhupada? So that is the question. Does anybody have, anybody want to speculate on what they might ask? Hari <laughs> Bol, Prabhu, my obeisances. Um, my question would be, why, why am I so indifferent even to the idea of spiritual life? Yeah, uh, I did ask Prabhupada a similar question. So you, you asked a question, sorry, I'm trying to adjust this phone here so it uh, doesn't keep falling over. One moment, we will have a solution. I have a solution. Okay. Um, why, yeah, um, I asked Prabhupada something similar. You asked a curious question. Um, and I said, am I foolish that I have a certain indifference? So what you asked is very relevant. Prabhupada's answer to me, um, can anybody guess what Prabhupada's answer would have been? I, I like the question a lot. Go, go ahead. Okay. Prabhupada's answer was not foolish, he said, but ignorant. He said, because you just don't know. And he said, if you get knowledge, then you will then engage in voluntary austerity, a Sanskrit word, tapasya, you might have heard. And then if you get knowledge, he says, first, don't worry about these things. Just try to understand. Then as you understand, you'll want to increase your practices. That's what he said to me. Um, later on, I studied Prabhupada's words in, in the Veda base, which has all of his known words. And um, he said over 150 times, it's a gradual process. So uh, if you don't feel the enthusiasm, which all of us sometimes don't feel it, then we still do it anyway. I, I'll give an example. Sometimes I don't, I get up in the morning, 
I just don't feel like showering. But if I'm going to be near anybody during the day, they'll be happier if I would have showered. So I do it anyway, just because it's a habit. I mean, I couldn't dream of getting up without showering now, but you know, it's something that you would just do uh, because it, even if we don't feel like it. So eventually the practice of the spiritual life becomes something we do just because we understand it so deeply that our intelligence controls our mind. Our mind is saying, yes, no, maybe. And the intelligence says, this is what's best for me. So gradually our intelligence uh, wins out the mind. And that's what Prabhupada was explaining to me. I hope that answers your question. So what about others? Dean, what are you gonna ask Prabhupada? Or anyone? And, and remember, there is no foolish question. There really isn't. Um, uh, unless Henry asks one, then we'll have to see here. What <laughs> no, but uh, Henry is actually one of the best listeners of anybody I know. There's nobody who quite listens to classes and gets as much out of it as Henry does. We have some uh, great... He's special. We have some great questioners here. We have Adam, we have Dean, we have Andy, we have Nandi Muki, we have Shakshi, you know, so many people ask uh, Dana, you know, I mean, all the devotees here ask, you know, Jiva and Saradiya. So anyone want to, to Shanaz, what would you say to Prabhupada if you were 21 years old, 22 and in a hut? Yeah, and, 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 and now if you were brought up a devotee and you put yourself in that mindset, that's not what I intend. But if you were just had the chance to say, okay, I have all of Prabhupada's attention, 100% of his attention for as long as I want, what would you ask? Can, can LSD bring you spiritual enlightenment? Uh, say that again, Henry. Can LSD bring you spiritual <laughs> enlightenment? Yeah. Uh, Prabhupada was, I didn't ask that question. Uh, I, I already knew it wasn't going to do that for me. But Prabhupada was asked that question many times. Uh, one time, one devotee was arrested for a drug crime, one of the early devotees, and then came back to see and got out of jail. And Prabhupada said, what happened? And they said, well, I, I got caught selling drugs. And Prabhupada said, oh, I used to do that because Prabhupada was a pharmacist. So he, he didn't quite know what they were referring to, <laughs> or he did know, he was making light of it, because he, he uh, this Malati and Shamasundar, and they said Prabhupada made them feel, they were so embarrassed, they were in jail for something they'd done before they joined up with Prabhupada. Somehow by Krishna's special grace, they got out, and they were so embarrassed, but Prabhupada made them feel very comfortable. Uh, can I know people who have had a ayahuasca or LSD experience and it, it, it kind of encouraged them into spiritual life. And then I know people who got caught up in these experiences and it took them away from spiritual life. Yeah. Uh, Prabhupada spoke on it and said, you don't need these artificial things. You need understanding and realization, and then you'll stay there. So all of these artificial things, in some cases, not most, it may let someone break out of their shell. 
but it also becomes the worst anchors possible. Therefore, Prabhupada never, never recommended that because of the great danger of it becoming a terrible, terrible anchor. Uh, I Dean, hope that answers Dean your has, question. Dean has his hand up, E.T. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I don't see who's here. Oh, Dean. Yeah. Uh, Dean, <laughs> tell me a little about yourself. Where are you? Uh, you seem to be on a river, but where are you? <laughs> I'm actually, I'm, I'm in the Navy. I'm uh, currently stationed uh, in Monterey, California at the Defense Language Institute. I'm a linguist um, with the Navy and I became introduced. Well, th 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 thanks for your service. Appreciate oh, it. No problem. Uh, and I became introduced to ISKCON and Krishna consciousness through my wife, who's a Canary and well-known back there at the ISKCON DC. <laughs> and, um, you know, who's, uh, she was uh, born in Gujarat and um, I think moved here when, she, not I think, she moved here when she was there. Um, so I, I, do, I do have a question. Um, you know, I'm relatively new to the, the philosophy and, and, you know, the activities. And um, I can definitely say that through chanting and some of these, techniques I can have a um, you know it can kind of uh, create a relaxation in me create you know gives me creates a fosters a centeredness a little bit and you know I won't lie and then you go through your, your daily routine and you kind of get more stressed out as you know you interact with the material world and you know there's this sort of back and forth but question that I have or would have had for me is um, what's your experience, his experience with, does it evolve past, you know, giving you kind of like um, a, a sense of peace and oneness a little bit and maybe something uh, more intense where, where whatever you um, do fosters a, a more, you know, um, intense thing which i definitely think you know it, it must do for some people uh maybe you could even say such that it uh obviates this need or not a need, but i think you get what i'm saying excuse me just a second mm -hmm. i'm just switching to my computer oh no problem i'm, I'm kind of rambling you know so i'm just wondering um you're on mute, Brahmatirta. What his experience with some of these more ecstatic kind of experiences that, that you hear, and I think that people uh, mistakenly uh, try to, you know, someone, we were just talking about LSD, try to sort of cheaply uh, duplicate with some of those types of drugs. So Prabhupada's experience with being in ecstasy and Krishna consciousness and What's the reality behind that? Yeah, like when does it evolve or does it evolve past being something that kind of almost becomes a coping technique and relaxation technique to where, and I know, I, I'm sure you have to give yourself more to it in order to get that type, but I'm always curious to hear how people have experienced that. BT, you're on mute, still on mute. Now, now I'm unmuted, okay. Um, that's one of the um, intimate questions that I've had on my mind. 
So not everyone has that question. Certainly one that is extremely uh, close to me. And um, it comes to me that way, maybe not you. Is Krishna consciousness something that other people can enjoy, but not me? And sometimes I would think like that because my own nature is just how I am to think about things a lot. Um, and, and so, uh, and Christian consciousness is a partially intellectual experience and partially emotional experience. So how to uh, combine the heart and the head is really the question you're asking. And uh, uh, it's one of the most important questions, how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, um, one way is a lobotomy. It solves part of the problem, but it doesn't, but it creates another problem. But you can understand why sometimes, gee, I wish I wouldn't have to overthink things, you know, just a nice pick up the nose. They used to actually do that in the 30s, horror of it. So um, leaving a lobotomy out as a solution because it's not one. How do we combine? Um, I can tell you how I do it. And I can tell you what Prabhupada said to me. And I'll share that with you. Uh, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the most appropriate way for you to move forward. That remains to be seen. But I'll share it with you. Um, Prabhupada gave me a specific instruction. It wasn't in the book. It was later. But he said, the most important thing you can do is good association, who you hang out with. So in other words, you hang out with people on a similar path to you with a like-minded approach where you can reveal your mind confidentially, they can reveal their mind to you and you can get into deep discussions. That's what makes relationships work. And so these spiritual relationships are what drives us deeper. And as we go deeper, we naturally feel more content in our consciousness. And um, uh, the difficulty comes when we're bifurcated. I'll give you, I'll explain that. You and I live in two different worlds, in two worlds. You're a Navy man. You go to school, uh, somebody salutes you, you salute somebody else. You have your Navy world. And then you come home, you have a devotional world and a family world. And people like Brajavihari and myself, he has a day job with the government. Um, I'm a consultant, so I have all the things that, and I run the Bhaktivedanta Institute, the science arm of Krishna consciousness. So in there we, you know, I'm dealing with so many scientists and philosophers, and certainly not devotees. So when we have our, when we're walking in both worlds, it's a huge advantage to us because we see things from different angles. It's a huge disadvantage for us because we don't always have that good association and we have to sort things out. But it's the world that you need to be in now. How do I know? Because that's where you are. 
That's where you are. And you have to live with that. Same thing with me. Same with Raja Bihari. So in that world, we have to get ecstasy. So I'll show you an extremely embarrassing picture. Okay. So I was, I, I will show it to you to point this out. I was thinking in a very similar way you were thinking, I believe, and we'd have to talk more to see, but where, why is it? I'm just watching all the happiness, but I don't necessarily see it. So I went to a, um, I was in Vrindavan, and thanks to the help from Borijan Prabhu and others, I really started getting a taste which was beyond what I'm used to. And I went to a parikram by the wonderful Indradumna Swami, where he takes on a tour of holy places in Vrindavan. So I went on this uh, parikram, and, and it was a lot of... Um, uh, maybe 150 devotees there, many from Eastern Europe, Poland, Ukraine, Russia. That's when Ukrainians and Russians spoke to each other. And they were all there and they were having such ecstasy. I was watching them. And I said, why is it I always watch? I don't, why do I like licking the outside the jar of honey? I really need to taste it. So I was thinking like that. So then I really got absorbed in the chanting and I got so absorbed in the chanting that it impacted me. And so I went behind a pillar because I realized I was getting uncharacteristically emotional so I could have my private moment. I didn't know Indradumna's photographer was walking around taking pictures and this would be on Facebook, but that's Krishna. So, here I am hiding behind the pillar, realizing maybe, just maybe, I can get to taste all these surrender souls have. So that was that picture, which I never wanted to appear on Facebook, but it did. So that's my long-winded answer to your question. You keep good association and you gradually, as you learn more and more of uh, about yourself and about your relationship with Krishna. And you learn more, especially reading the pastimes of Lord Chaitanya really wakes me up to, because it's very modern. The book's only time of Columbus. It's, you know, just recent. And what the relationships are between Lord Chaitanya, others, relationship between devotees, how the, it's very modern. It gives me the inspiration to say, yes, I can go deeper. So you got a long answer to a short question. Sorry about that. So Brahmacharya, let's take one last one before class is over. This is from Nandi Mukhi. Nandi Mukhi is um, from China. She's a disciple of Brahmapada Swami, and she's very enthusiastic to share Krishna consciousness in China. I think um, I'd met her before. I think I'd met Nandi Mukhi. Yeah, I think you might have. So go ahead, Nandi. Hare Krishna Prabhu's. Yes, I was thinking if I were back to the old time when I was 21, 22, then I, I, I want to ask Srila Prabhupada that um, first tell me about yourself and what motivates you to continue your life. So yes, you asked Prabhupada. Um, that's interesting. Um, 
we actually had that discussion, but it wasn't recorded. The first session I with Prabhupada was not recorded. There was his a servant secretary had a shortage of cassette tapes. You couldn't really buy them in India. They had so many with him. But the conversation got so interesting. The second time around, he hit the record button. I mean, I had no idea about the what was recorded or not. And um, so Prabhupada did tell me kind of what, what his mission was, you know, what he wanted to do. And, you know, he wanted to know who I was, why was I there? And they told me a little bit about himself, what he wanted to do. And uh, he had a mission to, uh, that is guru. He said, is my guru told me to go to the West and introduce this science. That's what he did. That was his motive. His guru told him to do so, and he took it seriously. And he had no idea what the results would be. When Prabhupada was first in New York, lonely, poverty-stricken, just staying in this place or that place, um, he used to go every week to the harbor, and he'd go see the shipmaster and ask, when is the next ship back to India? And the uh, harbor master finally said, every week you're coming and asking, but you're never going. Why is that? And Prabhupada said, I just wanted to know that there's a ship going back to India. It was so difficult, so lonely for him, just being there with no support, nothing, not knowing where his next meal would come from, just determined to do his guru's wishes. But he would still have these feelings that are natural. And so he'd go... <laughs> He just wanted to make sure there were ships going back to India. It gave him solace. Though he had no intention of getting on the ship. And the harbor master knew that. So it's kind of, it, it can be like that. So Prabhupada, if you want to really understand what motivated Prabhupada, what made him really into what you might say, what made him tick, though we can never fully understand these things. Uh, uh, but if we want to know what, just understand some aspect of it, then you read a book by Mukunda Goswami called Miracle on Second Avenue. Ah, uh, yes. Now, I warn you about this book. It's a thick book, very, very well written. He's the author's a great writer. He was there for everything in the beginning. But I warn you, if you start reading this book, do not plan on eating or sleeping or doing anything else for a while, because the book will absolutely capture you. I'm glad you said that, because we were just talking, Dean asked the question about uh, if any biographies written about Prabhupada, and we listed uh, Yogeshwar's and Satsuru Maharaj's, Burijan Prabhu's and Vishaka's, but we forgot that one. So thank you. Yeah, all these books, I love them. But somehow the miracle on Second Avenue for understanding Prabhupada's mood in coming to America, that aspect of it, there is no better book. And the other book that, that really uh, is a follow-up book for that would be Yamuna's book, because they overlap. The uh, Yamuna's book is called, um, oh, it slips my mind. Henry, what's that called? Yamuna's biography, we all know. Um, okay. Uh, um, anyway, she uh, coined a phrase in there that's very relevant called, what's that, Henry? 
a, a life unalloyed. Yeah, yeah, a life of unalloyed devotion. Thank you. And and um, she coined a phrase in that book that's an incredible phrase and is one that I live by now. And she coined the phrase Krishna magic. How one's life becomes so magical when one realizes that Krishna, not only does he own everything, he's also our best friend. Mm. And when, when we realize that there's a relationship, everything becomes magical. And, you know, sometimes it's obvious, like the day um, uh, they had no money to pay the rent in London and they're walking down the street and dollars start pouring from the sky. Somehow somebody threw dollars out a window. They have $100 bills. They have no idea how it happened. And, you know, I mean, that's an extreme case, but just in, in so many little ways. And I see that every day. When you go to Vrindavan, India, the Krishna magic becomes a little more obvious because it's Krishna's home and there's less of a veil. But um, uh, she describes what it's like when that veil gets lifted. So there's a lot of good reading that way. I'm sorry to go on so long, Praj. I came to listen to your class, not to speak. <laughs> well, I'm just putting another one, Chasing Rhinos with the Swami by Shama Sundar Das. Uh, that's three volumes. Yeah. Uh, he's a very good writer, and he has a drama flair. So uh, it, it, there's not a boring page in the book. And what time is the uh, class this evening in the lecture? Was it five o'clock? Yeah, five o'clock. I'll be... There's the link if you want to listen to him. Uh, the same questions that he's going to. This was like a, you know, um, if you want to hear more about perfect questions, perfect answers, there's the link at five o'clock Eastern. Ramatirta will be speaking. I, I was just practicing now, but thanks for the practice, Rob. Yeah, I know. <laughs> After 50 years, I still get nervous before I give a class. Yeah. yeah, for people who it's um Alachua Temple Live um on YouTube. I put it in the uh, I put it in the uh, chat, uh, Henry. But the people that are only hearing audio can't see that. Oh, I see you saying thank you. Yeah, Very thanks, Henry. I so, appreciate that. So thank and, you. Um, I just wanted to say one last thing. All of you are very fortunate. One of I'll embarrass him a little, but one of the best teachers. We have is Raja Bihari, who really has practical understanding, in-depth philosophical understanding. Um, anybody that's been in the movement for a number of years, we've earned our purple hearts with our ups and downs. And it's given us uh, sometimes a maturity we need. And Raja Bihari has that to the maximum. So you're, uh, I know this group, um, he meets every week, but uh, you have one of my favorite teachers, so you're very fortunate. Thank I you. I came both. here to learn, not to speak. That's the truth. No, but, but thank you. It's, I could, we couldn't turn up when we saw you here. We couldn't, uh, to, you know, pass up that cost, that you know, that opportunity. So thank you so much, and thank you everyone. And Krishna willing, we will see you in um, six days and twenty-two and a half hours from now. Okay. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna.